Hey, good morning. And uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to River Glen, whether you're uh, participating online or joining us uh, in person in, in Waukesha or Pewaukee. Great to uh, see you here. Thanks so much for joining us for church this weekend. Before I get started, I want to tell you about a great weekend. It's coming up October 2nd and 3rd, one of my favorite weekends of the year. We call it the Big Offering Giveaway. And here's what we do. We take the offering that weekend, every penny of it, and we give it all away to meet the needs of people, important needs, uh, locally, regionally, and globally. Take a look. God has called us to simply love people so that they know him. On October 2nd and 3rd, we're hosting a big offering giveaway. We're going to exercise our generosity muscles and give away every single penny of this offering. We're going to bless people in our communities and all around the whole world in a huge way. Here's our four key focus areas. We're going to love kids. We're going to honor families. We're going to extend care and expand God's kingdom with church planning. We start with simply loving kids. We're going to keep loving our special needs community with amazing events like Tim Tebow's Night to Shine Prom. And we're going to keep loving and supporting our local school partners, both Hawthorne and Whittier Elementary Schools. Hi, River Glen. My name is Brandi Hart, and I am the principal at Whittier Elementary School in Waukesha. Whittier is a super special place. We have amazing families and a super dedicated staff and teachers that just work so hard. Our community members like River Glen um, help us extend so much more to our families. And we are able to circle around and, and really wrap around each and every child to make sure that they get exactly what they need. The students absolutely love when they see those blue shirts coming on in. Um, and River Glen people are here to help us at field day or at our open house um, or at our jumpstart programs or anything that you guys help us with. They love, they love any extra people um, that we have in our buildings or around our buildings to make it a better place. This year, a portion of our big offering giveaway is going to help address their biggest need. We're creating a scholarship fund to assist families with before and after school care for the kids. Um, we are just very, very thankful for everything you've done. And just please know that you are helping make all of our future leaders grow and you are making Waukesha a better place. Join us in simply loving kids through our big offering giveaway. We have, uh, yeah. We've got several other partners, and we're going to tell you more about them each weekend le leading up to October 2nd and 3rd. Don't miss it. We are really uh, excited about the big offering uh, giveaway. Well, uh, recently I came across a survey question about uh, your car, uh, your vehicle, and I want to ask you the question they asked. Here it is. When do you fill your car up uh, with gas? Show of hands. How many of you, when the fuel gauge is on half, you're, you know, you're like an overachiever, and you're like, i got to fill, fill this thing up? All right, 25% uh, fill up uh, in, in that category, according to the survey. How many of you, uh, when it gets to quarter full, quarter full, show of hands, how many of you fill it up? That's the majority, yeah, in the uh, survey uh, filled it up. How many of you are like me? And, you know, you wait till it's on, you wait till that light comes on, and then you're like, I'm going to see if I can push this another 12, another 15 uh, miles and see how far I can go. I treat it kind of like a game. I mean, I actually, um, I have a 13-gallon tank in my car. And when I go to the pump, if it doesn't take 13 gallons, I'm like, I could have gone further. <laughs> yeah, uh, my wife, I get her nervous. Sometimes she's like, you know, hey, there's a gas station at this exit, or that's a good price. 
for gas, but I keep going. You know, my odometer's got that range that tells you how far you can go until you run out, but that's just a suggestion. That's just an estimate, okay? You know, uh, I got a lot of faith. And uh, one time, I actually uh, ran out of gas 100 yards uh, from the gas station, and I coasted up to the pump. It was an awesome moment for me. <laughs> Another time, I actually ran out of gas on the uh, bypass around Rocky Shaw, but we're not going to talk about that. Today, I'm not here to talk about cars. Uh, here's why I bring this up. Uh, because I wonder, how many of us here today would say, uh, you know what, I feel like I'm running on empty in my life, running on fumes in my life. How many of you uh, would say, I feel stressed out and I feel overwhelmed. I mean, there's just no way I can get everything done. I don't have the time to get everything done that I need to get done. I feel tired, exhausted, and overscheduled. You know, I hear this all the time from, from all kinds of people. I mean, older people, younger people, people with professional careers, parents who stay at home. I hear it from retirees. I mean, it seems like everybody says, I'm busy. I'm crazy busy. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll blame externals and we'll say, well, it's just the season of life that I'm in. It's just all the things i got to get done around the house. Or it's just the demands of my job. It's just the pace of, of, of life around here. But what if we discovered it's not so much externals. What if the real issue is a disordered, dissatisfied uh, distracted soul, because God didn't give us a soul uh, to run on empty that's designed to run on empty. God created us with a soul that thrives in a simple and ordered way. But unlike a car, you know, your soul doesn't have a gauge that tells you when it's getting empty. Uh, your, your soul fatigue is much more subtle. They actually have a medical term for this. They call it hurry sickness. They came out with this term back in the 1950s. A cardiologist by the name of Dr. Meyer Friedman studied people that live fast, live in a, a, a hurry, and they're more prone to heart attacks. And here's how he defined hurry sickness. A continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish more and more things in less and less time. Uh, confession, you know, that's me. <laughs> uh, I don't just run my car on empty. Oftentimes, that's how I live my life. This is a tough message for me to uh, give. You know what? I should probably be uh, in the seats today uh, listening. But here's, here's the problem. Many of us, many of us live this way. John Mark Comer has written a book called The Ruth Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he identifies several symptoms of hurry sickness. See if any of these relate uh, to you, like irritability. Irritability, because if you're going too fast, you're more easily annoyed. And little things can set you off and throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Another symptom is restlessness. We try to slow down and rest, but we can't relax. Maybe you try to spend some time reading scripture and praying, but your mind, you can't quiet down your mind. You go to bed early, but you can't fall asleep. You want to keep checking your phone. Or how about workaholism? You, you don't know when to stop working and even worse, you can't. It's always, you know, it's another hour, it's another day, it's another uh, week. And this can show up not just in your career, it can show up in obsessive cleaning or errand running. And you begin to fall prey to sunset fatigue where by the end of the day, I mean, you, don't, you just don't have anything to give to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, to your loved ones. They get the overtired you. Another symptom is emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel someone else's pain 
or even your own, for that matter, you, you don't have the time for it. Empathy is a rare emotion for you. And then finally, escapist behaviors. We're too tired to do things that actually bring life to our soul. And so we turn to distractions like overeating or over drinking or looking at porn or binge watching Netflix. And we get into this negative pattern where you choose something that brings short-term gain, but you know it comes with a long-term cost. That's what hurry sickness uh, looks like. And that's where many of us find ourselves uh, today. Aren't you glad you came to church? It is encouraging to, to hear uh, about this. You know, I don't bring this up to make anybody feel guilty or ashamed. I bring this up to make us aware that we're human. And we're not alone. And because I want to share with you some good news, that there is a better uh, way. Today we begin this new series called uh, Simplify to help us learn five clear steps to calm the chaos in our souls and experience the life and peace and joy of Jesus. Jesus interacted with many different people uh, during his three-year ministry. But it's interesting, there's only one time it's recorded in Scripture when he redirected someone in this area of simplicity and hurry sickness. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus visits the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And I want to read this story to you because I really believe there's something here, especially for those of us who feel stressed out and overwhelmed and overscheduled. We'll pick it up in verse 38. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples, disciples are those closest to him, uh, were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be uh, made. Martha starts making this meal. You know, she's, she, she, she's got to feed. She's got to prepare a big meal for Jesus and his uh, disciples. But then look at what Martha says. She came to Jesus and she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and, and, and help me. Now, I want to pause here and I want to try to help you feel the emotion in this uh, story. Because if you don't know the story or if you've never heard it before or you don't know how it ends, uh, my guess is that uh, you're, you're, you're sitting here going, you know what, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, one of the sisters is in the kitchen working hard, and the other sister is just sitting down listening to Jesus. How fair is it that one person is, you know, working hard in the kitchen, and another family member isn't really helping or working at, at all? Hypothetically speaking, this would be like, uh, you know, I don't know, let's say it's Labor Day, and uh, you're in the kitchen making a big meal for your family, and uh, you're working hard, and your husband is sitting on the couch and he's watching the Brewer game because the Brewers are having just a great season um, this year. That's just hypothetical. I just, I just totally uh, made that up. But part of you thinks, part of you thinks Jesus is going to tell uh, Mary, you know, why don't you help? Mary, Mary, why don't you go to the kitchen and uh, give your sister Martha uh, some help in the uh, kitchen. But he doesn't do that. Look at what Jesus uh, says in the next verse. Martha, Martha, the Lord said, you're worried and upset over all these details there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. I want you to notice something, how Jesus repeats Martha's name. He, he repeats it twice, which conveys emotion, strong emotion. But I don't think it's anger. 
I don't think Jesus feels frustrated with her. He's, he's not saying, you know, Martha, Martha, what's the matter with you? It, it's, not that, it's not that way. And this is important to understand because some of us can relate to uh, Martha. You know, some of us are, you know, kind of get it done people. We're uh, kind of uh, driven, task-oriented. Maybe you like to clean even when things don't need to be cleaned. I can be that way sometimes. Sometimes I'll be at home and one of my kids will walk into the kitchen with a, a, a glass of water. They'll set it on the counter and then they'll turn around and I'll grab it and stick it in the dishwasher. And then they'll say, hey, what happened to my glass of water? I wasn't finished with it. And I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, it was sitting there for 10 seconds. It's gone. You lost it. Some of us can relate to Martha. And we might get defensive. We might defend her because, I mean, Martha's not is doing important work in the kitchen. I mean, she's not, you know, playing games on her phone or, you know, watching YouTube videos. Somebody's got to preheat the oven. Somebody's got to cook the food and, and do the, the, the dishes. Some of us might want to defend her, but I don't think Jesus scolds her here. Martha's feeling anxious, it says, and he's, he's trying to help her. He, he uh, uses a tone of compassion. One version translates Jesus saying, Martha... My dear Martha, um, Jesus wants to invite Martha into a new kind of life where she's not as stressed and overwhelmed about all the things that she needs to get done. And I believe Jesus wants to invite all of us into a new kind of life. In fact, if you would, insert your name here. Put your name here. And so for me, it'd be Ben, Ben. You know, you're, you're, you're worried about all these things. You know, all these details, but there's only one thing to be concerned about. There's only one thing that really matters. Or Ben, Ben, I want to invite you into a new kind of life where you're less stressed and less hurried and less worried. Notice I use the word less because I don't think we're going to ever have a stress-free life this side of heaven. But we can begin to simplify our lives and calm the chaos in our souls by asking two important uh, questions. Here's the first question to ask yourself. Is it a pace issue? Now, don't raise your hands. But how many of us, you know, we like to go fast. And we get really annoyed with, with slow people. I can be that way. I mean, I, my, favorite, my favorite sport is racing. I like fast. I like to go fast. I like to eat fast. I like to work fast. I like to get things done fast. I like to get in and out of the grocery store fast. When I go to the grocery store and I go to the checkout, I mean, I don't, I don't commit to anything. Okay, until I look around, check all the lanes and do the math and see which one is the fastest. And if I can box out somebody and shave off, I can shave off a couple minutes that way. When I get to come up to a red light, anybody else do this? I slow up early, you know, and I see how this thing shuffles out and, you know, where the shortest uh, lane is. And, uh, okay, I'm going to get behind that guy right there. I'm going to draft on him. He's speeding. He'll get the ticket. I'll, I'll tail him. You know, I like to go fast. But here's something I discovered that really got me thinking. If you read the Gospels, you know, the four, four biographies about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, Jesus had a lot to do. Jesus lived a busy life. But there is no record of Jesus ever fast walking or jogging or running or sprinting. You know, there's no record of, of Jesus ever saying to his disciples, you know, come on, guys, let's pick it up. We're going to get moving. They need us in Capernaum right now. Or... You know, where's Thomas? Anybody seen Thomas? We're going to teach him a lesson and leave him behind. No. I mean, Jesus never acted that way. And Jesus had really important things to do. But we, we never see him in a rush. 
or in a hurry in his soul on the inside. You know, why do you think that is? I think it's because Jesus knew that hurry can destroy our soul and kill our relationships. Craig Rochelle puts it this way, if we follow an unrushed Jesus, then we should live an unrushed life. And I think that's what Jesus tries to communicate to Martha, because look at what it says here. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Remember, she's cooking up that big meal for Jesus and all the disciples. And the point, so the point is not to, you know, avoid working. That's not Jesus' point. He doesn't want us to just sit around all day and just pray all the, all the time. No, the point here is first things first. Uh, most important things first. Look at what Jesus says to Martha. Uh, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Let me, let me ask you, how many things are you worried about and uh, concerned about right now? You know, as you come into church today, how many things would you say, yeah, you know, I'm worried about that. And, uh, you know, I'm concerned about that. Could it be too many? Too many things. You know, it reminds me of this game I used to play when I was a little kid, about nine or ten. Um, I, my older brothers had gone away to college, and so I, I would play this game by myself where you keep a balloon, you know, up in the air. And it's pretty easy with one, but when, you, you know, you start adding uh, more of them, uh, it gets, gets a little harder to keep them up and, and uh, uh, you know, not let not let one of them or some of them fall and hit the ground. In his book, The Myth of Multitasking, author Dave Crenshaw says, we can't really uh, multitask. You know, we might think we can, but he says we can't really focus on two things at the same time. He says, sure, you can do two things at the same time if they don't require mental effort, like you can, you know, watch TV and eat chips, or you can, you know, go for a walk and talk at the same time, but you can't return an email and have a conversation with your son at the same time. He said, we're not really multitasking, we're switch-tasking. We're switching from one task to the other. And some of us are really good at switch-tasking, switching from one task to another. We call these people women, and they are just amazing. <laughs> they are incredible. But our brain cannot do two things. At the same time, you can't multitask, which means you got to be willing to set some priorities. You got to be willing to say no thank you to some things. You know, I've learned from personal experience that if I try to keep all the balloons, you know, up in the air, and, you know, I answer every email, every uh, text message, I go to every meeting, every gathering, I say yes to every invitation, every request. I may not have time to prepare a good message for the weekend, or I may not have time to connect with my wife and my kids the way that I want to. If you allow other people to determine what balloons you keep up in the air to set your priorities for you, I mean, you might miss out on the unique, the unique plan that God has for your life. Here's a solution. you got to simplify and let some balloons hit the ground, you know, which is what I think Jesus communicates to Martha. He's telling Martha, you know, when I stop by to visit Martha... Um, I'm not expecting a great meal. You know, Martha, I mean, a, a couple weeks ago, I took, I took uh, two fish and, and five loaves, and, and I fed like 5,000 people, okay? I'm not expecting a gourmet uh, meal. When I stop by, it's for friendship. It's for connection to be with you. You can let that balloon, Martha, you can let that hit the ground. Let me ask you, what balloons in your life are you willing to let hit 
the ground. Uh, maybe, maybe it's an invitation to a social gathering and, and you'd really like to go, but you, you just really uh, need a, a night at home to relax with your family, and so you say no thank you. Maybe it's a part-time job that you do on the side, and it's not your primary source of income, and so it's okay if you let that balloon hit the ground. Maybe it's email. I let some emails hit the ground. I, all day long, I, I check emails, re- respond to emails, but at the end of the workday, uh, I finish with emails. I don't have email set up on my uh, phone, and so in the evening, unless it's an emergency or something really important, I'm not checking and responding to emails. What balloons are you willing to let hit the ground? You might want to talk about this on the, on the car ride home today or maybe around the dinner table today. What are the balloons that you're willing to let hit the ground? And what are the balloons that you want to keep up in the air? It's, it's good to have these conversations because you might disagree. You know, you might say, well, I, I don't really feel like in this season of my life that I need a clean house. I'm okay with you know, letting that balloon hit the ground. But maybe your spouse says, you know what? When the house is messy, it stresses me out. And so you may need to communicate and make an allowance for their feelings on that issue. What are the balloons that you're willing to let hit the ground? And what are the balloons you want to keep up in the air? My marriage, my kids, my job, my relationship with God. Because some of us right now, we're so stressed out and overwhelmed because our pace in life is up here. we got so many balloons that we're trying to keep up in the air. And the answer, here's the answer, you need to let a few of them drop and hit uh, the ground. You need to prioritize in your life what are the ones that you want to keep up in the air. Maybe, maybe you open up with somebody that you trust and you just ask them for their input and say, what do you think are some balloons that I can allow hit, to hit the ground? And, and maybe their perspective will help you to see more clearly because when you say no to something, then you can say yes to another. So is it a pace issue for here for you? Second question is this, ask yourself, is it a trust issue? You know, probably for, for some of us, it's a pace issue. You know, you like to go fast and, and you feel uh, overwhelmed. But then for others of us, it's more of a trust issue. Because look at what Mary was doing while Martha was in the kitchen cooking up a storm. It, it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Mary listened to Jesus. She trusted the voice of Jesus. I uh, heard a story recently about a, uh, a, a, an experienced splunker. A splunker is uh, somebody who likes to explore caves. And he discovered a beautiful uh, a cave, an amazing cave. However, it had a difficult, narrow passageway to get to it, but it was, it was gorgeous. It was so beautiful that he, he went and he grabbed his friend Danny. And he said, Danny, you got to come. you got to see this uh, cave. Danny said, that sounds pretty cool. And so they started to go through this passageway. But pretty soon the passageway started to get smaller. And, and pretty soon Danny's crouching uh, down. And then he has to crawl. And then to Danny's horror, it got so narrow that he's got to lay flat on the ground with his arms at his side. And he's pushing with his feet to get through the narrow passageway. And then it gets even worse. When he breathes in, his lungs fill up, and he gets stuck. And so he's got to time it to where he exhales and pushes with his feet at the same time. I get claustrophobic just telling you um, this story. And so Danny started to panic. He's like, you know, I'm stuck. 
you know, I'm going to die in this passageway. I can't go back. I can't go forward. I'm going to die in this cave. Uh, but his guide heard him, and he called out to Danny. He said, Danny, Danny, you need to listen to me. Danny, don't listen to those voices in your head. If you listen to those voices, you're going to go crazy. He said, I need you to listen to my voice. I've been through this passageway. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to leave you, but I need you to listen to my voice. Well, Danny died in that passageway. No, he didn't die. I'm just kidding you. That would be a really bad story. He didn't die. He made it through the passageway. And he got to the cave, and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous beyond anything that he had ever seen or imagined uh, before. Here's the point. When you get stuck in life, whose voice do you listen to to comfort you, to, to guide you? Some of us, some of us listen to the voice in our head, and maybe that's why you feel overwhelmed. And why you feel uh, stuck. Because take a look again at what Mary was, was doing. It says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Mary trusted the voice of Jesus. In, in fact, for me, the most important word, I think, in this whole story is in verse 40 where we find the word distracted. Martha had so many things to do. It distracted her from what mattered the most. We can have so many things to do that it distracts us from what is most important. Think about it this way. If I had somebody follow you all day long and report back to me, what is the, mo- uh, what is the most important thing uh, to, to, to do? What do you think they would uh, say? Would they, would they follow you around and then would they come back and go, hey, you got to watch TV. You got to watch these TV shows. And these TV shows are great. You got to watch them. Or would they come back and say, Facebook, Instagram, you know, scrolling through, looking at pictures, watching videos, even if they're not important. I mean, all, all throughout the day, you need to spend time, spend your time on social media. What would they say is the most important thing to do? You know, we all have plenty to do. You got plenty to do. I got plenty to do. How important is it for us to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his voice speaking into our life, guiding us? And uh, comforting us. You know, something I try to do every morning. I begin my day by reading about, about 10 to 15 verses of Scripture. And then I, I, I journal and pray about what I wrote. Because his voice is most important. Not the, not the voice in my head. Not the voice of culture. Not the voice of people around me. I need to listen to the voice of Jesus to comfort me. And to guide me. Charles Spurgeon, Pastor Charles Spurgeon once said this, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. If you feel like your life is just falling apart, and it's not because of some dramatic circumstance in your life, maybe it's because you're listening to the voice in your head instead of listening to the voice of Jesus. I mean, your external life is never going to be perfect, but you can develop the internal strength to deal with all of it if you listen to the voice of Jesus. There's nothing uh, more important than personally knowing Jesus uh, Christ. That's why Martin Luther once said this, I've got so much to do today, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, I think that's probably an exaggeration, three hours. I, I, I usually spend maybe 15, 20 minutes first thing in the morning uh, reading scripture and praying. If this is new for you, I would say five minutes, 10 minutes would be great. But I love the idea of this quote, that there's a God factor to our time. When you put 
First things first, when you put Jesus first in your time and you spend time sitting and listening and hearing his voice speak into your life, he multiplies your efforts. You're going to get more done and you're going to feel less stressed. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, seek first his kingdom and all these things, everything else will be given to you. In other words, put first things first and everything else will fall in place. So I want to give you a couple uh, simple challenges to help you put first things first and to calm the chaos in your soul. Here's number one, first challenge. Spend the first 15 minutes of each day with Jesus. What if you literally put that on your calendar? First 15. And at the start of your day, uh, you, you spend time reading and reflecting on Scripture and, and uh, praying. I'm telling you, it is going to calm the chaos in your soul. It is going to bring you peace like nothing else will. We've got a, a, a Bible reading plan if you'd like to pick one up. Stop at the uh, Connect Wall after the service in the lobby and uh, you can uh, take one of those reading plans with you. Here's a second challenge. Gather with Jesus followers every weekend. Every weekend. Now, now you, you already did this today, so good for you. Way to go. Nicely done. You joined us for church. Do you know that God's people have gathered together every weekend throughout history. In the Old Testament, they called it the Sabbath day. They would gather on, on Saturday. In the New Testament, uh, it switched to Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. I don't think it really matters whether you gather with followers of Jesus on Saturday or Sunday. I think what, ma what matters is that you make it a rhythm in your life because it will fill your soul. Um, you know, that's why Jesus prioritized it. Jesus prioritized these weekly gatherings on his own personal calendar. And if, if Jesus needed it, then uh, we need it uh, too. So join us for the next uh, four weeks and uh, in this Simplify series. We're going to learn, we're going to continue to learn five clear steps to calm the chaos in our souls. And next weekend we're going to look at bitterness. The weekend after that, worry. I think it's going to be super helpful. Don't miss it. Put first things first like Jesus and like Mary. And uh, it's going to calm the chaos in your soul. And it's going to bring you peace and joy. I want you to hear from a couple in our church who made a decision to put first things first. Take a look. So we are Daniel and Marie Schumacher. And we've been coming to River Glen for over three years now. Daniel was working a lot of hours and he was traveling internationally for work. I was commuting and driving to downtown Milwaukee every day. Our kids were in very competitive sports programs, very intense, very time consuming and really just kept us on the go. Um, it was a busy schedule. We really rarely had time to eat together, to spend family time together. It was just kind of rushing through the day, trying to fall asleep and then still not sleeping very well because it was just a full slate of activities to wake up to the next day. We were feeling very overwhelmed and feeling stressed just was our normal. And Jesus was and has been a part of our life, but we really just found ourselves feeling like there could be more. Um, he was present, but definitely wasn't at the center of everything that we're doing and just really caused us to take some steps back and just really think about our different priorities and activities in life. One day after service, we went home and we decided to make an intentional decision to put Jesus at the center of everything. 
and it and it required some changes. It was you know some new muscle memories, changing changing our jobs, changing the sports that the kids are in, changing some of our habits, and really just putting Jesus first and making Him the center of all that we do. And we found that as we did that, the the busyness and the chaos of our life kind of subsided, and we we found more peace and more contentment as a family. We definitely made some adjustments. We started having meals together. We started praying together. We've been serving in kid life. Our kids serve with us. We joined a life group through church and have been really enjoying that experience. And as of June, we got baptized. We have an amazing and really overwhelming sense of calm and peace by putting Jesus at the center of our life, by the center of everything that we do. And we're not saying everything or anything is perfect. Things bubble up, and when they do, we just have a really solid foundation of faith to lean on and get us through. And it really helps us through the difficult times. I mean, the world around us is changing in ways that are faster and more complex than we can ever imagine. Um, and having Jesus at that, as that foundation, at that center, really helps us weather these storms together. I mean, I think part of it is it's being willing to go against the flow with what our friends and what the community is saying is normal. You know, it's it's sports this, it's activities that, and realizing that's not why we're here. That's not the end all be all. Like those things are great and there's nothing wrong with it, but if we don't have Jesus at the center, you know, if sports is at our center or if activities are at our center, you just don't have that sense of peace. Whereas when you, when you make those conscious decisions that sometimes go against the grain, you, you get that sense of peace and that, that better feeling of joy in life. Yeah, I appreciate Daniel and, and Marie uh, sharing their story. That was really well said. Daniel and and Marie attend our Pewaukee uh, campus, where Marie uh, serves on our, our staff over there for RG uh, Kids. They realized that uh, uh, they needed to let some balloons hit the ground, and they needed to put Jesus in the center and trust him. And God has blessed them with peace and, and joy and just calm the chaos in their souls to help all of us center our lives on, on Jesus and put first things first. Each weekend, we set aside time to share communion uh, together. I love the simplicity of communion. Everybody's invited to participate because Jesus invites everybody to come and, and follow him. Um, if you're in one of the rooms, uh, we've got communion available on the uh, tables in the back of the room. You just peel back the first layer. There's a piece of bread. You peel back that next layer, and there's uh, juice. If you're watching online, join us and Use your own bread and, and uh, uh, juice. By sharing this meal together, we declare that uh, we put Jesus first. So let's, let's do that uh, together right now. The bread represents the body of Jesus. Let's go ahead. Let's eat the bread together. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. Let's drink the juice together. so good for our souls uh, to share that together and to put first things first. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that we can 
uh, gather together and, and share communion and calm the chaos in our souls. God, uh, we come from you. You made us and you created us. <clears throat> you created our souls to find wholeness and peace and, and, and satisfaction when we put you first, when we put you in the center. God, would you save us from the, the emptiness and chaos and exhaustion of hurry sickness. Help us to order our lives around you and, and live unrushed lives like Jesus. Father, I ask that for every one of us, myself included, every day, give us the courage and discipline to start each day with you, spending time with you. And each weekend, give us the courage and discipline to gather with you and your people, to fill our souls around you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.